Hello and welcome to That Business Podcast. I'm Caleb Tanner. And I'm Corey Borchard. I want to say I'm an um, entrepreneur slash financial consultant. And I'm a uh, graphic design major and I guess, or not a major, I'm not, I'm actually not a graphic design major, I'm a, a graphic <laughs> design, business administration major and graphic designer. Yeah, but I say you're basically a um, graphic, des- like you're almost a graphic design major, like that's what a lot of your work's been in so far. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's really impressive. But we actually have a lot that we want to go over in this episode. I have like a surprise mini topic. And then we actually have a conversation on... um brainstorming which i'm really excited to get into because i'm kind of interested to like learn your process on it absolutely i think it'd be uh interesting to talk about also i feel like that's what half the episodes are anyway is us like kind of shooting ideas and stuff and i think that's a yeah i think it was a good topic to kind of uh refresh on yeah i definitely do too before we get in so i do i do want to i saw something the other day that i thought was super interesting that i wanted to get your thoughts on on the podcast so you're, you know Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street guy, right? I'm aware of him. Yeah, so basically, I know you haven't seen the movie, have you? I have not seen the movie. Yeah, so basically, he, you know, is in the pump and dump scams. But basically, Jordan Belfort, he now is like a sales trainer and consulting, so businesses like hire him to go speak, you know, like motivate the sales teams. He also, you know, sells like a lot of books, he does podcasts. You know, that's basically what he does now. But because of the movie, he has like a pretty big fan base. Like he has a lot of followers on social media. And that's where he sells his like, you know, courses to surrounded by sales. That's who listens to his podcast, you know, all that stuff. And he announced, and this is the part I want to get your thoughts on. He announced that he was making an OnlyFans. And, <laughs> and when I saw that, I was kind of shocked. But then when I got too further... So he's not making an OnlyFans for the reason you're probably thinking. Like, he's not, you know, going to get naked. But he's going to use it to so he can go behind his scenes, like, share his life while clothed. And, like, use it as that aspect. And that's the part I want to get your opinion on is he's doing it. Other, like, musicians have done it. Like, what do you think of people using OnlyFans as not for, like, the reason people normally use it for... But it's just a way to communicate with fans, and that's it. Well, um, I think I saw on the media a little bit ago, um, on August 25th. Okay, hold on, let's see. Yeah, see, I remember a little while ago, and evidently, and I have to check on this, because they only banned pornography. For evidently like a week. Yeah, basically they, uh, I think they want to go public. So they banned porn, and then what happened was everyone, or like 95% of the people that use that platform are using it for that. So, yeah, their people weren't happy at all. So they kind of like brought it back because they had to. Yeah, I'm seeing that, which is interesting. So... Essentially, yeah, OnlyFans is a paywall. I mean, yeah, I I would not personally be on OnlyFans because I have a personal brand that I want as far as away from that as possible. So, but Jordan Belfort is actually 
actually already known for that sort of thing, so it's like, well, I wouldn't care. Yeah, it almost fits. That's my, I really don't think OnlyFans was intended to ever be just a, you know, site for that kind of thing. I think they, and I could be completely wrong on this, but looking at their, like, social media, which I did before uh, this episode to kind of, like, see if this was true... But looking on their social media, they promote mostly accounts that are what Jordan Belfort's doing. Just people that have fans, you know, building a community. It seems like what the site's been used for is not what they intended for it to be used for. And it's just kind of what they're stuck with. See, that's interesting because that would mean to me... What we could see in the future is OnlyFans actually investing a lot of money into boosting content that's good on there that is not porn yeah they very well if they're actually trying to avoid that being their brand it actually could be a very good place to start pumping out content on i think so too because i I think they do want to go public and it's hard to go public as a porn website i mean think about like patreon like, Patreon used to hold a lot of that kind of stuff, and now they're all on OnlyFans, and Patreon's has become, you know, more for just creators. So I think that's really, really interesting, actually. Like, that's just a, like, quick topic I want to get your thoughts on, but I thought that was kind of interesting how he's using it as just to build a community and not for what people actually use it for. And it'll be interesting to see if he's successful with that. Like, obviously, a lot of his business is now media, Especially with the podcasts and everything like that. And I mean, he does do a lot of like sales consulting. I think he's, t- according to his website, he's the number one sales consultant, like numbers wise, which I don't know if that's true or not. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I agree. That is interesting. I think that OnlyFans could be a good uh, good place to put pay paywall content. Yeah, I think so too. If it didn't have like the reputation that it did, I could see myself like doing something with it. Although, because of the reputation that it has, it's not something that I'm willing to use myself. Yeah, that's the problem, is I couldn't advertise to, like, say, boomers on it. Well, exactly, and I think, like, uh, I think on, like, Instagram, you're actually not allowed to put, like, your OnlyFans link in the bio or something like that, like, for the website. I could be wrong on that, but that is something that I've heard, which... Yeah, like, I'd want to be able to put my community in my Instagram bio. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a good way to actually get people to sign up for it. Yeah, no, that could be a, um... Yeah, that could be a harmful... It's like, because it's reputation, it can be harmful to a brand. At the same time, they may very well boost brands like that on their platform. And so if you're the first brand that's not that, that's boosted... You do well. Yeah, that's very true. I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see how, like, Jordan Belfort does. But, like, Cardi B did the same thing where she has an OnlyFans, but it's not, you know, for what it's normally used for. Like, she does it to, like, you know, give people, like, sneak peeks on music and, like, behind the scenes, and, like, content and stuff like that. And I, 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 I know she's doing really well, which makes sense because she has a very large following. But it'll be interesting to see, to see how Jordan Belfort does. Yeah, that will be interesting to see. I'm actually interested. I wonder if there's any backroom deals that pushed him towards the platform in an agreement to basically boost his content. 
I don't know. It did seem like a weird choice for him. Which, keep in mind, he tweeted the announcement that he was going to do it. And OnlyFans actually, like, commented on it. So it's like, I don't know. It could have been, like, a like a strategic, like, deal with them on why he'd use them. But, yeah, I'm definitely excited to see how it does. Absolutely. I would say you could see him as almost a gateway character between what you'd call, like, I guess the sin world and the business world. Yeah, like, his brand's kind of, like, perfect for that. Um, like, his, his brand's perfect for that. <laughs> Yeah, it's the perfect transition brand. Yeah, but I do, you know, I guess like going to brainstorming, I do want to hear kind of like how you do it. Absolutely. So I think that for me to brain brainstorm correctly, I have to have somebody to talk to. Usually it'll be picking up on, um, you know, tangents and stuff from a conversation. Um, that's why, and I think that's why I wanted to talk about it. Is I think I think we've seen this on our show before. I think so too. Where it's like we'll be talking about something, and we'll have an idea for it, and I find that usually I am most on my toes in a conversation where you're just kind of um, shooting off ideas and trying to think of you know like solutions to problems and everything. So like you know, in some cases, I think that it's um, I guess you could say it is a. Um, it's an on-the-spot thing for me. You know, I have to have a solution that I'm trying to think about and actually actively seeking, you know, seeking something in those, you know, answers. And sometimes I find it, sometimes I don't. Um, but brainstorming is a huge process. I I remember there was a section on it, but I don't remember what original said about brainstorming. I actually don't either. I will say that brainstorming for this podcast is a lot easier than brainstorming for the podcast I do just by myself. And my own, like, blogs and everything as well. Like, I know, um... And the reason I say that, like, for this podcast, when we're brainstorming... Like, me and you kind of together find ideas, and then we naturally, like, transition from those ideas. But, like, the way we do it is, like, um... You know, let's say if the time is on brainstorming, you'll, like, go to something else. I'll join you over there, and then we'll kind of, like, latch on after that. When you're doing, like, a podcast by yourself... You have to, like, let's say you make a topic in mind. You can't really do those branches because there's nothing to work off of. You're working off of yourself. So it's like, I definitely think brainstorming is easier, but also getting the original topics also. Because, like, talking for 10 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever, to yourself is a lot more difficult than just talking to someone else, like, building off, you know, gathering, like, rapport with a person and, like, building that way. So I definitely enjoy doing this podcast a lot. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that, and again, I think that's what really sells on this uh, podcast is it's kind of just conversations between the two of us. You know, whenever you log in, you're more or less hearing two friends talk about business. And, you know, some of the ideas you hear are good. Some of them are bad. But, like, I actually wanted that vibe. Me too. I wanted to kind of have the feeling of sitting with smart people in a room, maybe getting coffee. And hearing what they have to say. In fact, that's why, I mean, if we ever wanted to, like, yeah, add more people to this, we could. Or, heck, if you wanted to have, like, a tr- – you could have it where you pulled in different guests every every day. But as long as it was a couple of them to have a free-form roundtable discussion. That would actually – like, this is also, like, off-topic. But, you know, what would be really fun to do sometime is to um, 
let's say like when we're all meeting up with a bunch of friends, like I bring my uh, laptop, microphone, all that stuff, we put it in the middle, and we kind of just all just have a conversation, like record it. Like we can get like you, me, some other like friends of ours who are like passionate about business, and just having like no like script or anything at all. We just have a conversation. We should actually do that. Like get a big group of people. You know that would be incredible. And again, this right here, it's like we can talk about how we brainstorm. But sometimes I do something and I don't know. It's actually better to just show you how we brainstorm. And this is an example. We're talking about you know future episodes and stuff. And so for <laughs> that one, yeah, I think that um, an episode basically that has one the pot, you know, that has the mic in the middle and listening to all the different. Um, you know, people in our little network, which our network has actually grown to, you know, include some interesting people. Um, our buddy Claude runs a, um, Gun ammunition, yeah, ammunition company that he's starting and he's eventually trying to get government contracts and stuff up for now. He's retailing ammunition. Um, that's what I was thinking actually. Like if we can get like, like you, like me, like me, you, Claude, we can all talk about like actually like starting a business. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else we could like get with us I was as well. Ask, is Michael doing much since graduation? Uh, Michael G. Um, they both are Michael G. <laughs> hey, that's funny, but you know which one I'm talking about. I really are you talking about my like business Michael? Yes. He actually hasn't graduated yet. Or he did, he's getting right, his master's degree. Yeah. Yay. He would be really interesting to actually. Um, get on the show though like i don't think he like do you remember that sports betting site he was doing in class michael is interesting because he is a well-read student and he comes at things from an entirely different direction than me like my ideas i would just never have anything close to like he had and he would just never have anything close to them neither of them are bad they're just extremely yeah. different so it would be a really good balance to i think us yeah michael i picture as being like really good and like a management role, I think. I think Michael is better at execution than he is entrepreneurship, but that's because his I degree agree. was more. His degree was actually more administration focused, and ours was more free form. Well, yours was like creative marketing, and mine yeah. was um, business with, you know. But you focused on the creative side. Yeah, but I say you focused on that creative side of business. That'd be cool to get like the four of us to all like you know communicate on like various topics. Like, we kind of start, like, that's the thing, like, me and you would talk about, like, the creative side, like, actually building it. Michael could do more of, like, the actual management. And I guess Claude would be good to have for, like, outreach. Like, actually talking about, like, reaching out to, like, people, like, establishing, like, rapport with them. That'd actually be a really good episode. That would be a good episode. I would I would love that so much. Well, um, I guess that's an example of brainstorming right there. It, it really is. Um... You know, brainstorming usually would go along the lines of you have a topic and you'll talk about everything you know about that subject. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to fill dead space. And that's why yeah. I actually like recording this podcast. I think I do have good ideas on the show sometimes. I agree. Because you're looking through your effectively, you know, your memory bank to find something interesting to share. And the only way you really get that activated, if I was actually making sure I was having an idea on something, I would take a sheet of paper and take the subject. I would write the problem or subject or whatever I was trying to do at the top. 
you know, I'd write down everything I knew about it until I basically had a question or an answer from that. And then if I had a new question, I would maybe think on that for a while and then do the same thing to it. You know, there's like there's a process there to it. Um, I think it's really important to not brainstorm alone. I think a mastermind yeah. is incredibly important. Do you have like a system like if you're brainstorming like by yourself, like if you're working on a project just yourself, do you have like a system? Cigars and pacing. <laughs> See, for me, here's kind of, and I'm not recommending this strategy, it's just my personal one. Like, um, I also don't recommend you smoke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I remember when I was doing, like, um, there was a period where I was doing, like, CWT Business, like, that blog, every single day, which is what I still do for the most part. Or I would say, um, I would say semi-daily I post on that blog. But when I was doing it, like, hardcore like every single day there was a lot of days where i would sit there i'd open my computer i'd log into my wordpress i'd like push you know start blog post and i couldn't think of anything to write about so my process what'd you say i said writer's block is hard that is um that's something i still found that i can't brainstorm out of uh writer's block so i'm curious to hear your process yeah, so if I was sitting in that thing, it was like, well, it was like, you know, my, obviously my blog is about business. So I'd go to Google, type in business news. I'd log into Reddit, search, you know, the stock market subreddit. And then I think about what I did that day to actually, like, progress me on my businesses. So I'd either find something in the news that was interesting enough to write about. I'd either find something in, the, like, the stock market itself that I thought was interesting to kind of go over. Or... If I, like, when I actually think about what I did today, I'd think about something that I did to progress something that, like, business-related, and then share it. Like, at the time, I think I was still doing, like, the affiliate marketing store. So if I did something in that area, you know, I'd write about it. If I saw something news, I'd write about that. I'd basically just keep looking at information until something jumped out at me and was enough to be interesting. I think... That's kind of like how I got over writer's block. I like the process. That's a, that is like a mechanized thing. And that's one thing that's uh, bad about the more freeform like, kind of brainstorming I do is it's good if you are the ADD type who thinks real fast and kind of does his own thing. And, you know, and especially if you don't have a deadline. Yeah, that's the, that's the tough part. And you have to get it out at a certain time. But once you had a deadline, you have to have a process for that, which, yeah, I like, I like the idea of, um, you know, checking the news, checking, you know, basically having three things that you have written down to basically check off as, did I check this? Did I check this? Did I check this? And you're almost always able to um, get that figured out. Because yeah, that's that, the thing. That's a good process. Like, there are some times where, obviously, there's news about business every single day. But a lot of times, like, you'll check and there's just nothing worth writing about. Sometimes the stock market just had a day where it didn't really do much. And then sometimes, like, you know, you yourself didn't really learn anything new about business that day from actually running a business yourself. But most likely all three of those things did not happen at the same time. So, if there's a day where you didn't do well or you just didn't learn anything about business, there's probably something that happened in the news. 
if the stocks fell one day or there's just no stock market news, you probably did a lot of business work. It's like there has to like if you have three things, at least something is going on on one of them. Yeah, no, I mean absolutely. Like that's uh, in general, I've noticed that I have seen uh, if the subject is politics, where you know. Yeah. The world does business every day. There's an election every four years, and Congress is in session half the year. You know, like, it's not always a, uh, Congress isn't actually in session half the year. I don't know. It's more than that, but I don't know what it is. It's like a French work week. Yeah, but think Um, about it like this, right? You could type in, like, political news. You could, like, let's say on Twitter you follow, like, certain politicians that you could, like, like, pull that up. And you could think about, like, what you yourself have learned about it, like it, like let's say running campaigns or something like that. Like you think about what you learned, like there is still three things you can look at. Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean there's there's definitely ways. You're you're right. It's like even if the political news isn't there, there's stuff that I've learned. You know, I have like all the experiences to actually go on. Um, yeah. Then there there's usually and like they say, culture is upwind of politics so, or downwind of politics. So like you can usually figure out something to write about in fact i saw somebody the other day wrote about why basically why feminism endorsed characters tend to not do well yeah which is because um a lot of people make a mistake in hollywood is that to make a strong woman you have to make a woman who never struggled and the problem with making a woman who never struggled is they don't really have a point to watch them or is that you can't relate i guess Exactly. So, you know, and those things, nothing against feminism, obviously. It's just a level of, um, there's no point in watching a story where the girl's already a strong, independent woman who doesn't need no man. (laughs) Yeah, it's better to watch them actually, like, get to that point. Or something to kind of, like, relate to. But, when you did a graphic design blog for a while, didn't you? I did. That one was interesting because I was more or less selling myself as a, um as a freelancer and so what i focused on was a lot of the aspects of logo design and everything um and that was more of like a how-to blog wasn't it it was i was kind of doing a hey how to do a logo my idea was like marketing it as a hey i'll show you how to do this and then you know if you want to hire me you can going back on it i would probably say um i would do it a little bit differently i would take and i would go the route of um you need a logo because it relates to your um I would focus more on the why you need me rather than the how do I do it. Because people care why they need me. They don't care why how I do something. And so in hindsight, that's what I would have done instead. True, because then they, like, if they see how you do it. The thing, like, I, I think it's the same thing for, like, marketing. It's always a lot harder than it sounds, right? So, like, if you tell people, like, I don't know, I feel like when you go into, like, the kind of, like, and I could be completely wrong on this. I feel like when you go into, like, the how you or how you personally do it kind of thing, in their mind, they're like, oh, I could do that. Instead of, oh, I need to hire this guy to do that. Right. Well, you know, when you say something simple, then it's like, well, why should I pay you for it? If you make something seem complicated, then it is. Um, and again, like, I, I try and not... Believe me, there's nothing that I would do that... Uh, if anything, I charge too little for my work. I run into that sometimes. Um, yeah, that's always been my problem. Months, I never, I I probably charge way less than I should, but it's only because I want to reach the most amount of people. Although, 
in marketing, it's actually better to price higher in a lot of cases. Right. Well, that's something I've run into is um, the sign company has run into some growing pains. And what I've seen with that is basically um, we are a – don't get me wrong, we're doing quite well. But the issue is there's so many things that we could be that I don't know which direction to run. And that can be an issue. Yeah, I know with, like, um, that's one thing that I've wondered about with, like, Finance by CWT, which is a financial education company that I'm working on. Like, I told you I'm doing, like, stock advisement, or I'm launching a stock, like, advisor service, which is really more of a stock informant. I'm basically just telling people about certain stocks and let them decide for themselves if they want to invest in it or not. So I guess more of a stock informant. But, you know, I'm doing it for 20 bucks a month. A lot of stock advise like a stock advisors range a lot more than that but the thing is like mine would be accessible to more people but if you're looking at it as someone looking for a stock advisor you see mine at 20 bucks a month you see another one at 50 you're probably going to think the 50 dollars a month one is better even if it's not you know what i'm saying right but you're also potentially um you're potentially alienating a part of your market by raising prices. Like I, that's what I've encountered too. It's like, yeah. Kind of a... That was one thing when I was doing like, um, when I was doing like social media marketing or like, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, when I was doing like, um, social media marketing or like, um, ex like external promoting for startups, which I did a lot like, while in school, actually, like, external marketing through, like, my own sources. But when I tell a lot of them my, um, prices, they probably were too low. But these were startups. These were people that had basically an extremely small budget to actually work with. A lot of these are actually, like, pre-profit or some even pre-revenue. So it was like, yes, I should have charged a lot more for what I was doing. But if I charged a lot more, the market I was going after wouldn't have been able to pay for it. So even if someone looks at that and they're like, this, you know, is worth $200, it doesn't matter if they only have 100 bucks. Right, I've seen that. Now, there's another way to look at that, though, and it's something I did today. So um, we're doing shirts for a uh, sports team. Yeah, which one? 70s. Um, it is um, Fayetteville's Christian... Hold on, Fayetteville Street Christian School. Oh yeah, you showed me this yeah, last time. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like a kids sports team. That's where I Soccer went for shirts. elementary school, or two years yeah. in elementary school. But go on. It's a nice, nice school, by the way. I, I love them there. They're awesome. They've worked with the sign shop a long time, and you know, great people. And don't get me wrong, I would never turn down their work because they do a lot of stuff with us anyway. So it's, yeah. it works out. But and they bought seventy-seven shirts. That's a lot. But in the same time, uh, one of the local urgent cares bought like 3,000 shirts. That's a lot more. Who do you think is keeping the shop open? Obviously the urgent care. Exactly. Or now, even if, like, it'd be foolish not to focus on them. Exactly. And here's the concern. It actually takes the same amount of work to go through the process of getting those 77 shirts as the couple thousand shirts. 
Yeah. And, you know, and so it makes it hard to focus on the 77 shirts when there's that one. And that's okay, but basically it's at the point where the business needs to choose. Are we going a direction where we serve big projects and do big things? Or do we do a lot of little things? Well, I feel like... I feel like it has to be, which I could be wrong, but I feel like it has to be where you have consistent little things and infrequent larger things, right? That would be, in general, what it is now. Um, you don't think it has to be like that? Well, I think it would. Ha- I think that if we actually had a sales team, because keep in mind, this business has grown on its own organically. We That's haven't true. really pushed for much in way in the way of anything, um, and we have what we have, you know. And like you know, I've looked, you know, I was looking at the numbers earlier. Like you know, we did forty thousand dollars in ra- uh, vehicle wraps alone. We've never gone out and pushed vehicle wraps. Somebody says, "Do you do vehicle wraps?" Or they type in vehicle wraps on the internet, and they, you know, eventually they find our name. They call us and price it. So. There's these huge projects, and you know, and keep in mind, if you're if you have a vehicle, your your car probably isn't getting wrapped for less than twenty five hundred, and your van or truck is probably going to be thirty two hundred, thirty five hundred. So there's a lot of uh, it's a lot of revenue in there, and if you actually are putting the money and resources into actually going to get those specifically. I think it could be better to do that. Now, there's another alternative there, though, as well, is maybe we, we have the ability to make our own light boxes and do, you know, big signs like that. So maybe we should be selling to other sign shops and say, hey, we can make this for you, and here's a price. Um, we suggest you sell it for this. Now go sell it for us. You know, that's a second option. What you could do is uh, hire a bunch of, like, commission-only salesmen, provide the leads for them, and then... I mean, you're basically not paying them. Like, it's, it's none of these coming out of your budget. Like, every, all the money they're making is coming from what they bring you. So it's like a, you know, it's it's like a no risk employment for the company. And I would do that. Like, if you provided me a bunch of leads, I'd cold call for them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that would be um, that would be a great process. Now, that's actually one thing I am looking for is. Um lead generation software for sign shops that's yeah. not something that's currently on the market which it might mean that i might ought to be something i create but that would be uh you know that would be another option for growth it's like you know you have one way where it's like growth in big custom things it's another way where it's growth in standardized custom things for other salesmen so there's a lot of options as far as how to grow and i don't think there's a wrong answer yeah but i say lead generation like to go back to that real quick is something I, I something I remembered. I was listening to a podcast the other day where they were talking about it, where it's like if you're like a teenager, like a really like young person, and you're looking to make some extra money, and you don't really want to actually do much work, what I would do is um, or what the podcast saying to do, you know, if you're in a neighborhood, you know, go knock on some doors, basically ask them about like pest control, ask them if they'd be, if someone was called them if they'd be willing to let them like do pest control for their house. If they say yes, write their name and number down. Basically, go to each house until you get like a list of like a hundred names of people that want pest control done. Then call an exterminator. Say you have a list of a hundred people that said that um, they'd hire them to do pest control if they call, and then sell them that list. That's a good way for like sixteen-year-olds to make some money without actually doing anything physical. 
That's actually an incredible way for them to do that. Like, um, yeah, that would be a uh, really good system for that. I mean, I've, and I've spoken to, you know, plumbers before who, like, they have uh, not Angie's List, but a company like Angie List. Yeah. And because they're plumbers, they can usually find everything in the area and sell that as well. Um, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you can get, like, um, I mean, even if it's, like, 10 bucks a name or something like that, you know, you get 100 names, is a $1,000. Yeah. No, I mean, that would be... That would be good. Yeah, which obviously, you know, 100 names is going to take some time. But I, that's the thing. is, and I think I think lead generation is such an interesting way to, like, go make some money. Because the thing is, if, if, you know, if you're willing to actually do that, which I would have a problem, like, knocking on a door and asking them if, they, if they're interested in a particular service. And then you basically... And then it, it makes no sense. For, like, if, if you're an exterminator and someone called you and said they had 100 people who said that they would hire you if you called, you want to call them. And if yeah, you, no, absolutely. Yeah, and if you can make, I'm not sure how much exterminators get paid, but, you know, whatever amount, you're probably going to be willing to sacrifice 10 bucks for each of those. Well, yeah, especially if it's somebody who actively needs them. Yeah, who's, like, willing to hire as soon as they get that call. And, like, yeah, it's going to take some time to get all those names. But I, I think I think that's a very interesting way. And, again, I know that went, you know, a little off topic. But that's just, when you said that, it reminded me of what I heard on that podcast. No, I mean, it's, I, that's a good idea. Yeah, I agree. But when it, oh, I was going to ask you about this, too. This is a little bit back when you said this. When you do shirts for people... Do you make the shirts in-house, or do you outsource the creation and just design it? We outsource the creation. Um, there are screen printers all over the place. Um, in fact, it's actually a really good startup to do. Is um, And it costs... See, the margins are not great, so you have to sell a lot. But you can do it, and it, it's hard at first, but you just make a deposit on it. Um, and basically, yeah, like, uh, there are, you know, usually you would just go to a local screen printer and you would get wholesale rates. You would have to get a tax identification number from the government as a business for them to be willing to do business with you usually. Yeah. Uh, but then you wholesale from them and you basically figure out how much it'll, they'll, they charge to screen print what you give them. And then you find a wholesaler for shirts. Um, I'm still trying to find the site because there is a site that has, um like seconds so like maybe a shirt has a small rip or a thread not, not quite right mm -hmm. and you can get those for pennies on the dollar and um you know yeah you can have them screen printed and screen print is like usually a handful of cents by the color you know maybe a couple dollars for one or whatever and um yeah but the goal is you want to sell a hundred shirts and get two dollars a piece for them uh, and make two dollars a piece that's a business idea actually like i thought of and still might do you and i could do it Basically, how you, what you would do is, um, if you did have something like that, you would, not just local business, but, like, merch shops, right? Because, like, people that are buying, like, huge amount of, like, particular shirts, like, you go up to them, make it for them, and, like, that, that would be, like, big, consistent orders. That's another thing, is, um, I have thought about basically creating a drop shipping 
function for our sign company and basically yeah. doing the same thing that like Redbubble or Teespring does, but as like the sign company. I mean, if y'all could do it for cheaper than Teespring, I would do it, which is what I currently have a store on. Speaking of that, did you see the, um, I don't know if you checked Snapchat, but did you see the um, Bitcoin shirt I bought off my Teespring store? I did. I loved it. I thought it looked really good. It looks direct to garment. It may, I'm not sure, I, it may be, I'm not sure how Teespring does it. But yeah, Teespring like I bought that off my own shop, which I thought was cool. I, I bought it at cost. But I thought that was, um, I thought it turned out really well because I wanted to see what it actually looked like before I sold it to people. But I am really pleased with how these shirts look. Yeah, uh, direct to garment is interesting because it is somewhat price. It, it is actually quite pricey to do direct to garment for a shirt, and you have to pay somebody to do it piece by piece, which I mean, that's the same for screen printing. That's why I prefer uh, outsource. Yeah, you know, that's the thing about like Teespring's a pretty big company, so I mean, even they they even if they make like a dollar a shirt, which is what I think they probably make, they sell a lot of shirts. Oh, yeah, no, it works out. Um, you know, the margin, it, it's in the margin. You don't sell one business card, you sell a thousand. You don't sell one thing, you sell a thousand. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Well, just the thing, I was able to get, because um, they'll also, like, basically, if you order a sample of your own products on Teespring, they'll send it to you at cost. So that's happened with my Bitcoin shirt. I ordered a sample, they sent it to me at cost. And, um, yeah, they, they actually packaged it up in, like, a super nice, like, cardboard box. Like, it was, they didn't just, like, it, it was beautiful, like, sh beautifully shipped. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very happy with Teespring. But, they make a lot of money. I'm sure if you did something similar and could do shipping faster, you'd have a really big business on your hands. Absolutely. Well, what I would do if I started it is I would increase the margin and uh, eventually it would have to go down a little bit, but I think I could still beat Teespring long term. But I would basically just give a much bigger margin to the artist for as long as possible. Yeah. How, what price do you think you can make the shirts at? The shirts, I probably can't beat Teespring. That makes um, sense. But stickers and stuff, I can beat Teespring in price and quality. Yeah, I, I believe that. I, um, I've sold stickers off Teespring before. Not for Bitcoin. Although Bitcoin stickers would actually be a good idea. Right. You still actually, use Redbubble for anything? Not really. They kind of, uh, they removed some stuff from my account that I feel they should not have removed, and so I'm kind of not on good terms with them. That makes sense. I never used... Well, I'm familiar with Redbubble, and I think I have an account, but I don't really use them myself just because I've always used Teespring and have an insane amount of brand loyalty. I've also used this thing called Bonfire, which is a competitor, but their margins aren't nearly as good as Teespring's, which I don't know what um, Redbubble's are. I don't know if they're better. I assume they probably are. I think they're a bigger company. They were good um they were really good if you sold hoodies. Like I sold a hoodie and got like eight bucks. That's not bad. Could you pick the price of the hoodie yourself? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's not bad, eight dollars. But no, uh, I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, so I created a store because basically 
for my um, content side, like the podcast, blogs, all that stuff that I do, I needed something to sell. So, you know, it's kind of obvious. I talk about Bitcoin. And, I, and the, the thing is, I always say I have a good product to service if I'd be willing to buy it myself. And I did buy it myself, so I think it's a pretty good product. <laughs> I like it a lot, and I've not seen a good Bitcoin shirt, so I thought that was pretty cool. I haven't either, which is surprising because it's such a big fan base. So I think I'll be able to sell a lot of them. But I, I think I think the work that you do at the sign shop is really interesting, actually. Although most of the business wouldn't be apparel, right? Like, do you do, you do a lot of work in apparel? Um, I think it's about 10 to 15% of our revenue. That's a lot higher than I would have thought. Well, keep in mind the biggest part or the biggest thing in our revenue is fifteen percent, which is what uh, cut vinyl. Oh, yeah, you told me this. <laughs> but that's actually really interesting. Yeah, now if you combine cut vinyl and print and custom cut vinyl and a couple other things like that, it gets higher. But still, it, it, it's a very it, it, it's a very interesting business i'm really surprised that apparel does um so much for you guys because i wouldn't think that because there's a lot of i don't know about your area in particular but there's a lot of like apparel companies out there well there's apparel companies but where are you gonna go for um you know a set of shirts that looks a certain way and do you want to take the risk should you accidentally order something wrong well that's true also like if um if they already are doing business with you through like signs or something like that, they already know what quality that you deliver on. Yeah. Also, um, what apparel companies like can you name off the top of their head? Uh, off the top of your head? None. Yeah, like that's the thing is like I can name a handful. The thing is, screen printers tend to not want to do retail. They don't like to have to explain to customers how it works all the time. Oh yeah, and also, screen printers tend to not do artwork. So what do they do then? They get they like to have you do artwork elsewhere. So you would end up coming to us anyway and getting your logo to go there. So you might as well order from us. Also, because the screen printers pay, um, you know, charge you as much as because retailers give us a wholesale rate, you can't get the same rate as us. So you're effectively paying about the same thing to have the consultants do it. That's really interesting. It works out. I don't. Really, I don't understand why more screen printers don't refuse the wholesale and just hold their little monopoly on it, but... It's probably just, um... I mean, it's probably too much effort for the money they get. I mean, I figure it's along the lines of they don't want to sell. Yeah, that could be it. And, you know, and some of them are different. Some of them are huge facilities, so I'm sure they do retail as well. But... Yeah, so is that some... Sorry, going back to what we were talking about before. Is that something that you were, uh... Like, think about doing, like, hiring, like, salespeople? So, the commission-only sales idea? Yeah, yeah, no, I could see doing that long-term. We'll need to figure out a way for lead generation, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's already within the plan. Yeah, I think, I think commission-only works if leads are provided. Because, like, um, I mean, I'd be willing to do it. Like, I would definitely, might be willing to, like, cold call for some extra cash. But, especially if, like, leads were provided... But no, I think um, I think that's always smart to do because it's a lot of no risk. I do know a lot of people get nervous about taking a job that's commission only. 
But there's a lot of opportunity with commission-based jobs. Right. You know, there was um, there's a certain insurance company, and I won't say the name because I don't know if I was supposed to know this. I only know it because I was in job interviewing, and they were explaining how it would be paid. Okay. Um, and I don't know, I don't remember signing anything, but I'm not going to say their name just in case. Uh, basically, what they did was they had a portfolio of customers. And each insurance agent is given a portfolio of customers, and that's they're the point of contact for them. Mm-hmm. And if I started, they would have given me like a, uh, I think if I remember, like a $400,000 account. That's a big account. And that's the thing, is basically you get a very small commission anytime anybody already in that account reorders. Really? Yeah. But then you get another uh, bigger commission, and the commission was different on everything. So let's say you sold car insurance. Well, that's a legal requirement, so you're, that's not really impressive. But let's say you sell life insurance. That's really good. Yeah. Um, and you would get a much higher commission on the first one, but then you would, again, get those rewards. It would be added to your portfolio, and you would get those recreated rewards every time they, uh, like, made something else or, you know, bought something or um, rebought something, you know, renewed their policy. So, so what, would... did you get offered that job? No, because their personality test found my IQ was good. In fact, I was really happy with what the IQ thing said because it made me feel smart. <laughs> also, it worries me because I don't feel smart. So if I'm smarter than people, that's not a good thing. What's you your IQ? Do what? So what is your IQ? It was, only, it was like, ah, crap, hold on. It said 120 to 140. It was a really big gap in like what it might be. But it was high enough I was happy. Um, if I remember exactly, I think it was like 127. Um, I don't think I've ever done an IQ test. But anyway, go back to what you're saying. But they had another part of the test that basically was, are you going to be dedicated to the company? And their personality test was good enough to kind of detect my Machiavellian streak, and they could kind of tell that I was planning to do things on the side while working for them and was going to give them what I was going to give them. Yeah, well, I said that was one thing that, um, like, at the current job that I'm about to start, I just signed the paperwork today, but the current job I'm about to start, that was one of their questions when they're interviewing me, is like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, in my mind, I was like, Florida. But, <laughs> but no, I mean, I was honest with them, but, I mean, that's a tough thing to answer because I have no idea where I'm going to be in five years. Right. Well, see, my answer was I'm going to run for office. At some point, I'm going to run for office. And they did not think, I mean, I could tell is it probably was along the lines of they didn't want me to be able to run for office and be an insurance agent. And I didn't want to run for office and be an insurance agent. So we were in agreements. But um, <laughs> I actually did for the um, for the John Better Star. I actually did have the side at NDA for them. Yeah, that's uh, I, I've I've had to sign an NDA before. I don't think he had me sign an NDA. He did ask that I not, you know, go and talk about it. So no, I said you wouldn't think he would unless you. I say you wouldn't think he would unless you like worked there. Exactly. In general, you don't have to. But it was uh, the reason he was a little bit shady on it was because if you go and tell someone else, it can get weird because maybe they're not offered the same thing, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially with, like, salary or something like that, like, starting off. 
But that's really interesting. Insurance companies are the most interesting thing ever. That's the thing, like, when people look at, like, Warren Buffett or someone like that, everybody likes to talk about, you know, the huge Apple investment he made and all that stuff. But if you look at Berkshire Hathaway, it's basically just a bunch of insurance companies. And the reason for that is because insurance companies have so much flow. Like you buy an insurance company, you have so much money in there that you can go invest with. So you basically... Oh, yeah. I'm about to say, like, if I was starting a holding company... And I bought a bunch of insurance companies. I basically have a bunch of mini holding companies as well that I can go use to buy, well, more insurance companies. And it's just, like, you can use that. Like, it's, it's such an amazing thing. Like, it, the, the business model of an insurance company is amazing. Oh, absolutely. Well, like, their whole life insurance thing is they borrow money from you, get the compound interest on it, and give it back. And that's it. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, though. It's like, um... Yeah, because like you give it to them, they get a 10% return on it year by year, and they keep the return on it and just give you back what you gave them. Yeah, which is actually really funny. So I did it because they have a pretty good deal on it, you know, and it's a just-in-case thing. I have a $75,000 life insurance policy, which is, no, wait, is it 40000 or something? I think it's forty five. It's It's $40,000. I'm sorry. Um, the seventy five is something else. Um, <laughs> the, um, it's actually, I think, I have like 140000 in life insurance total on me. The other one is something that like my parents bought on me a long time ago. So that's cool. But um, the 40000 one is something that I pay for monthly. And basically that will pay out when I die. But also I can make loans on that. Oh, really? Yeah, well, as it as it comes together, I can make one. So I couldn't borrow forty thousand right now, but I'll be able to borrow ten thousand in five years and such, you know, so forth. So like, it goes up. Not not probably not ten thousand in five years, but it's like that compound interest you can borrow from in the meantime, because that's how it builds up. Now, whenever they get at the end of your life, though, you know, when you die, they give that money back to your unit beneficiary. Yeah. And my my first question was, so how is it that you give me this forty thousand back when that's a little bit more than what I put in? And their answer was, well, we've made so much off of it that we're able to give you that and that. And I'm like, hmm. Well, wouldn't that be better if I go and pay in the stock markets? Best thing you would, but the reason I actually like am cool with like life insurance, like company stuff like that, because most people aren't going to do that, like. Um, Theoretically, like if you took, what is like how much do you pay monthly? Unless you'd rather not say live on air. It's seventy-five dollars a month for my policy. Yeah, so it's like let's say life insurance seventy-five dollars a month. It is true that if you put that into like an S and P five hundred index fund, you'd have way more by the time you die than what you would do if you just had it with the insurance company. But most people are not going to consistently put $75 a month into the S&P. They're just not going to do it. Even though, yeah, that's right. But when they have to take it out for life insurance, they're willing to do that, which is interesting. But it's, it's almost like life insurance companies are not just, like, just selling life insurance. They're basically selling the ease of having money when you die. Yeah, just having no, it in the first they, place. Uh... That's what that is, and they use it in the meantime. Effectively, they're kind of like a bank. Um, 
Now, I still got that, though, and here's part of the main reason that I, you know, I was, I'm okay getting that and everything and having that policy, even though you could do that, is if I'm in a car wreck and effectively immobilized, yeah, that 40000 will continue to be created even if I'm not adding the money. If I become disabled, I still get that 40000 even if I'm no longer putting money into the policy. Oh, I did not know that. It is a huge deal because effectively, if I'm in a car wreck or something, you know, I'll still have something for, you know, a loved one or something. You know, like if I'm in a car wreck and my uh, wife has to take care of me for a long time or something, there's still the possibility that, like, you know, she'll get that payout to at least take care of, you know, me dying. Oh, so I didn't know that. But I do think, I do think life insurance is obviously something that's very good to have. And I probably should do it myself. Although it is true if you did invest it yourself, you'd have more. But it, I don't really think that's the best way to really look at it. I do think, because the same thing that I'm against Social Security, because this is off topic again, but if you look at the amount they take out of your check for Social Security, if instead that was put into an S&P 500 index fund, by the time you retire... I forgot the exact number, but you'd be in a very like you'd have millions of dollars. Where instead you have thirty thousand that they kind of like distribute you throughout your life. So or thirty thousand a year basically in salary from like Social Security instead of the whatever million like you would have had if you just invested that money instead. So I do am against Social Security for that reason, but that's a topic for another episode. <laughs> Yeah, Social Security should be uh, optional. You should be able to opt into it. You should be required to put that money towards something, but just not that. Yeah, exactly. I I, I think um, I think you should have the choice to participate in Social Security. The like, thing is, if you think that it's better to like give it to them, like get you know thirty thousand a year, like you know the safety net of that, then I understand. Go do it. But if you'd rather invest that money yourself, you know, have it for your retirement, but kind of like build it your own. I think you should have the option to do that. I don't like the idea of um, people being forced to just sacrifice that money to something they don't want to do in the first place. Right, and the funny thing is if the government had just put that into the uh, S&P 500, <laughs> they, could have, um, they could be giving people the right amount of money and have way more left over to spend on stupid stuff. Yeah, exactly, but if the government did smart things, well, they wouldn't be our government, would they? <laughs> yeah, so they, they, don't, they don't like doing smart things. But I guess we should go a little bit. We, we got a little off topic there. <laughs> yeah, well, no, we were just brainstorming about life insurance. Yeah, exactly, but that's... That, that's brainstorm, everyone. <laughs> no, that's what I... But that's one thing I really like about, like, this podcast. I remember, like, when I, like, told you I wanted to do it again... It's because I was thinking, it's like, obviously I do my podcast by myself, but when you have a person with you, it's so much easier. You know what I'm saying? Because when you can build off someone else's words instead of just building off your own, you have way more room. Yeah, absolutely. No, having the ability to kind of bounce ideas off and talk back and forth and share stories and stuff, I love that. Exactly. We've been talking for like uh, 55 minutes so far. The thing is, most of the podcast episodes I do on my own are like 10 to 30 minutes. Because you can only talk to yourself for so long. And I keep in mind, I'm not saying it's a bad podcast. I'm very proud of it. And I think it's absolutely amazing. It's one that everyone should listen to. But 
I can't like especially when you're doing like a long form kind of concept. You need somebody there. I really don't understand how the people that do, you know, podcasts for like you know one to three hours by themselves do it. See, I couldn't listen. Well, I say that, but I was actually going to say I was listening to something about the video game Crusader Kings, and that was like a several hour thing. So never mind. But in general, I couldn't even listen to somebody just talking for like three hours straight. I couldn't either. The only times I, I actually I say that, but I regularly listen to hour long podcasts. But to be fair, like a lot actually, I say that, but I listen to a nine hour series on Berkshire Hathaway. <laughs> So I can do audiobooks, and um, there are certain political commentators that last longer, but even then, like um, the big one, Steven Crowder, yeah. he, um, he has producers and other guys on the show and stuff that he'll have, like, talk and stuff, so it's not just his voice. Yeah, that's true. But, like, the, actually, the um, nine-hour series on Berkshire Hathaway was actually two guys talking back and forth. But it's not like I listened to that in one sitting. I listened to, like... Three hours of it in a car ride, and the other six hours like spread over time. So all together is a nine-hour series, but it, it took me a while to finish it. Although I sh- th- th- there's very few people that should know more about Berkshire Hathaway than me, and one of those is Warren Buffett. <laughs> He's the only person that should know more about it than me at this point. <laughs> that was yeah. the most entertaining series ever. And that's the thing, like, it doesn't matter how long a series is, if it's good, then it doesn't feel like that long. So I definitely don't regret spending nine hours of my life listening to the story of Berkshire Hathaway. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's useful information is useful information. You know, there's books I have that have lasted more than, like, 12 hours, and uh, I'm still trying to get through The Creature from Jekyll Island. I actually just got a new book recently. It's called the um, the Everything Store, and it's the story of Amazon, how that came to be. Ooh, that, that's probably going to be pretty good. Yeah, it's been really good so far. I still think that, um, I don't know, my favorite book is either Accidental Billionaire, Story of Facebook, Hatching Twitter, The Story of Twitter. I think, I think my favorite book might be American Kingpin, which is the story of the Silk Road. That is pretty cool. I told you about that, right? You did. He's yeah, but, a, such an interesting story. It is. Like, that's the thing. It's like, um, I think that's my favorite book. The reason I lean, the reason I can't decide if it's that or like Hatching Twitter or like uh, Accidental Billionaires, like the reason I think it, I, I can't decide if it's between those three is because the Silk Road one, the, the, the second half of it was my favorite thing to read ever. The first half of it was really good too, but it's like it, it took like once I got to like the second half, I literally couldn't put the book down. So it's like I, I that's the only reason I don't that's the reason the only reason it's not my complete top spot, although I think it most likely is the top spot. It was the most fun I had reading anything. Wow. Yeah, although I actually don't listen to audiobooks. I've listened to exactly one. Wow. Yeah, no, I almost only listen to audiobooks. Like, aside from maybe, like, the Bible, I generally tend to just listen to audiobooks. Well, my thing is, um, it might be ADHD, but my mind wanders a lot. 
So if I'm listening to like an audiobook, and this time this podcast a lot, if I'm listening to it, I'll listen to it, and then 20 minutes later, I'll realize I haven't heard a single word in the last 20 minutes. But, I run into that a little bit, but I do it a lot while I drive. Yeah, that happens. I think if, if I have to read a book, then it's like, um, I have a lot harder time not focusing on it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, although when I drive, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. But I mean, it's still the same thing where sometimes I'll be like, wow, I haven't listened to a word in like 20 minutes. But it's like a shorter kind of thing. It's easier to kind of like, um, I'm going to pick up where you left off, I guess. It's probably the same for audiobooks. Yeah, no, it is. Like, I've, I've had that before. Uh, there's a handful of books I've listened to. Once something gets to 12 hours, I have a little bit of trouble listening through it all the way through. But, I mean, even then, it's just it's a matter of time. Yeah, I think, like, the one, um, well, also, I don't have Audible, so that's a big part of it. The one audiobook I did listen to was um, Crushing It by, like, Gary V, which is basically just a lot of, like, mini business stories. Where it was, like, there was, like, a section where it's, like, um, um, you know, like, like, it would be a section of, like, one guy's business story. And it was like how he created like a LinkedIn empire. And then it goes to someone else's. So it was basically, like, it felt like a bunch of like mini stories, which is easier to kind of like, um, you know, like keep track of, which is actually a really good book that I need to finish. You know what's funny? What? I, I listened to that too. Did you like it? Uh, I actually was, I, I didn't mind it, but I was also like, wait a minute, this isn't crushed. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Well, it took me, like, halfway through before I realized that this was not Gary Vee's, like, flagship book. It was, like, his follow-up. Oh, that's hilarious. I actually haven't read the uh, flagship book. I've only read or listened to uh, Crushing It because it was kind of the same thing for me where it's, like, um, I had money in my Google Play account, and I, you know, just searched. Like, I knew what the book was called, so I searched it, and then I was like, oh, I guess I bought the wrong one. <laughs> so see that's the thing is that's exactly what happened to me reading that book which is really funny because that means that uh crushing it was an absolute failure <laughs> marketing on Gary's <laughs> part and he's usually really good at this well that's the thing i feel like um i feel like it, it's hard and like I, I don't know but it, it was i knew it was called crush it but i typed it and i saw crushing it so i bought it <laughs> I, I guess that's really kind of the same thing as I was like, and I got it based on, I think it was based on your, um, I think it was based on, you know, you talking about Gary Vee that I got the book and I was like, oh, okay, let's see what it is. And I was like, this, this, uh, <laughs> this doesn't sound like Gary Vee all the time. Yeah. It was like only him a little bit, which here's the thing I did. I, I like, I, I like Gary Vee as like a motivator. I, there's some things where I'm like, okay, well, he's just trying to motivate people, where it's like uh, fake advice almost, where his advice is not, like, practical. But also, I, I think, I mean, I definitely like him, but sometimes I'll just, like, listen to him for a second because it motivates me to go out and do something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's, uh, he kind of is, like, the edgy entrepreneur type. Yeah, um, I think so, too. And he makes money on entrepreneurs. Yeah, definitely. Which, you know, I mean, and I, I guess I used to be one of those, you know, like, and how I thought about things, but... 
you know, and the difference is you got to just sit down and do it rather than think about doing it or talk about doing it. And yeah, I, I feel like I feel like both of us were kind of like entrepreneurs, whereas like, and then we both realized it's like, okay, well, it's actually time to go do something. And that's how I felt. Like, it's, I mean, there was a lot of business projects starting in college, so I guess I was still like an entrepreneur instead of like entrepreneur. But it was like the big ideas, right? Like the actual stuff where it's like I'm gonna start a business that's going to, um, you know, afford my lifestyle, like that kind of like business. It's like, um, you know, you always say it's like you know after college, something like that, I'll go do it, and then you finish college, and it's like, well, I have no more excuses. <laughs> yep. No, absolutely, and um, it's just like, well. You put, you're going to put in the time and you're going to like, you're going to plant those seeds and reap them or you're not. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's more of like, um, anyone can say they're going to do anything. Not everyone can go do it. Like everyone can sit there and say they're going to make a billion dollars. And it's like, you know, that's awesome. You know, that's an awesome goal to have, but how, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because, like, you're not going to make a billion dollars working at Burger King. You have to have, like, an actual plan. Like, I don't know. I feel like uh, there's, like, when you think about the fact that it's, like, you know, working hard leading to riches. Only is true if you work hard in a particular, in particular things. But then you can go to Burger King, work harder than anyone on the planet, and not make any money at all because it, it depends what you're actually working hard in oh absolutely yeah i mean you cannot here's the thing i would say yeah start at burger king and you know get get your life in order but don't stay at the burger king yeah and again like i'm not making fun of anyone that works at burger king at all like you know don't definitely don't take it that way but my, like, that's my point is is no one's making a billion dollars by working there except possibly the ceo like, um, actually, I'm pretty sure, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure Burger King's owned by the Pillsbury Doughboy guy, like, those, that, that company, although I could be wrong. I know it was at least at one point, that's off topic, but... I forget who owns them, but yeah, it's some, it's some big corporate entity. It's actually, like, it's a weird one, though, is the weird part. I thought it was Pillsbury. I know they did at one point. I don't know if they still do. You know what's really funny? Do you know who owns, um... Steak and Shake? I do not. It's Big Lori, and do you know what else they do? What? It's like a it's like a really bougie fashion magazine. Really? Yeah, it's like the exact opposite from Steak and Shake. It is like extreme left field. Do you know who owns Goldfish? No. I don't either, but I saw that, uh, whatever their parent... <laughs> Now, the, the reason I was asking, because I saw a notification saying that their parent company was apparently doing really well, but I didn't see who it was. So that's why I was asking. <laughs> Isn't it Nabisco? It might be. But it's so interesting we actually look at, like, what the parent companies are certain things. Because you'll see, like, in, um, like, in the snack world, for instance, it's like, one company owns, like, all of them. So, Nabisco and Hershey's is two companies that makes up about 20% of everything in your house. Yeah. And Johnson & Johnson. Oh, Johnson & Johnson. 
Actually, I guarantee if you go and open any cabinet in your house um, that's not the refrigerator, there's a 99.9% chance that there's a Johnson & Johnson product in it. You would think, but I have a lot of empty cabinets. <laughs> but no, Johnson & Johnson is a... Um, it's a very good company. Like, it's a very good, like, steady stock, too. Yeah, no, they're terrific. I'm just waiting on this uh, vaccine thing to boil over because they could be the subject of a class action lawsuit. I uh, John, like that. That's one thing. It's like, um, I mean, when we look at like the vaccines, Pfizer stocks done amazing. Moderna stocks done amazing, like because of the, you know, the vaccines, and then Johnson and Johnson, well, they've had trouble. Although when I um, first got into investing. The guy that, you know, was kind of like, because I think I, I think I told you about this already, like, you know, working on the construction site, like a guy that was like really big in investing. One of like his yeah. biggest holdings was Johnson & Johnson. Mm. See, in general, it's a, mathematically, it's a good stock. The only reason it would be a bad stock is if you don't trust the vaccine. And again, like personally, I just don't trust the vaccine for now. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, don't get me wrong. It's just kind of. I've, I see it enough in a couple of friends where they're like they've had issues after getting it. That scares me. And I'm like, just want to wait a while and just see because I, I feel like there's something that they haven't noticed yet about it. And I'm just waiting until it's like long enough for them to notice. Well, the Johnson Johnson one is not nearly as like effective as like Fives or Moderna. And also, I mean, that was the one that got like recalled. So it's like, it's definitely not as good as Pfizer, but even if you don't trust it, Johnson & Johnson knows how to make money. And if it's not from that, they'll, they'll still make a lot of money. Oh, absolutely. I think I think overall it's a good stock. I'll just, I'm just waiting until the end of that because I expect it to dip at some point. Good dip to buy, though. Yeah, do you know what um, their market cap is by chance? I would guess somewhere over a hundred billion dollars. Just guessing Johnson and Johnson, but I have no clue. That is a complete ballpark guess. Max, you're gonna check real quick because I got insanely curious. <laughs> I think they're on my watch list. Although I don't, I actually don't currently own their stock. I believe I did at one point. Oh well, that's well. Hold on, I don't know. See, their their sales is twenty three billion, but I can't. Their market cap is four hundred and twenty point nine six billion dollars. Okay, so I was off by three hundred billion dollars. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> to be fair, I did say it's somewhere over a hundred billion. Which you were correct. I actually was going to get six hundred billion, so I was. Often, I was wrong in the opposite direction. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, they are huge, huge. Yeah, it's like um, it's like them, or also like Pepsi, for instance. Like, I think so because, like, when you look at it, you're like, okay, you know, Pepsi, you know, that's Mountain Dew, and um, I'm trying to. Think I'm kind of blanking on what else. Oh yeah, Sierra Mist, like all that stuff. And it's like, you know, you like you think of like you know different like soda brands. But they also own Cheetos. They own Doritos. They own Gatorade. They own Olive Lay's chips. 
They own um, Quaker Oats. They own Bubbly Sparkling Soda. They own um, a lot of different like snack food. They basically own everything. And everything they don't own is owned by Coke, who owns Coke, Vitamin Water, Powerade, and a lot of snacks as well. And then even um, Uts. You know, you look, like when people think Uts, they think, you know, a bunch of chips. But they also own so many different snack foods. And it's like, it's so interesting seeing like all these companies, because you look at like Lay's or like Cheetos, Doritos, you're like, those are huge companies. Or a Gatorade, like those are all huge companies, but they're all just a segment of Pepsi. Yeah. Oh no, Pepsi is uh, huge, but you know what's crazy? What? Look up the market cap of the Dutch East India Company. Isn't it two? No. Um. Is it two trillion? Seven point eight. Trillion. Trillion. Oh, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. since right now the biggest company is Apple at two trillion. Yeah. Keep in mind that the Dutch East India Company was a mercantilism company, and so therefore you're talking about the actual value of a company owned by the Dutch Crown. So does that really count? I think at seven trillion dollars, it kind of has to. But then Solomon numbers right there. Yeah, but I think um, that's really interesting. I mean, you think uh, gold has a market cap of $10 trillion. So that one company was almost worth as much as gold itself. <laughs> oh, that's, um, that's impressive. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think, I think gold's, yeah, $10 trillion. And the biggest company we have now is Apple at $2 trillion. Although, I don't think we'll get to a $7 trillion. Well, actually, I don't know. Apple may one day be worth $7 trillion. I don't know. I think it would. Uh, I think it would depend. It would not surprise me if a company hit that, especially Amazon, since they're literally a monopoly in everything, or at least trying to be. Well, actually, through um, the book that I'm reading, aren't Amazon be inscribed in a way that kind of like changed my perspective on them? You think of it as like you know a store, but they're basically a holding company for digital properties, because it's not just. You know, stores. Also, Amazon Web Service that hosts fifty percent of the internet. Like they're basically like uh, they just own so many products on the internet. And if you believe in the internet, which I'm sure everyone does, then you have to believe in Amazon. Yeah, no, that's fair. Like you know, Amazon is huge. Yeah, and they don't even worth two trillion yet. I think they're I think they're close. I think one point six or one point eight, but yeah, they're not worth two trillion yet. But no, Amazon Amazon's an awesome company. Amazon is an incredible company, an extremely well ran. Um, Jeff Bezos is a madman. Yeah, but it's I just, say that half endearingly and half not endearingly. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to used to not like Bezos at all. I've very much changed my opinion on him. I think he's a pretty cool dude. Yeah, in general, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't know. I can't say about people I don't know. You know, it's um. That's it true. I don't know him in real life. Talking to him, he just seems like a um, like such a chill guy. It's very interesting. Like looking at his story because 
I mean, he basically... Oh, this is a fun fact I learned from my book. Amazon was founded on a math error where um, he was looking... He saw a report on the how many people were joining the internet. And apparently it was error. But when he saw how many people were joining the internet, which apparently was the wrong number, he was like, oh, this thing's... Like, the internet's going to succeed. And then he decided to build a company around it. But I think that's so funny. Goodness. That's hilarious. Yeah, but I really like him because he basically just found... He basically just found, like, an idea where no one else did. Like, the internet was coming out, people were joining it, and he was like, I could sell something through that. And the thing is, he wasn't... Because, you know, you know how Amazon started off as just a bookstore? Yeah. It's not like he was the first person to sell books online. There was Books.com at the time that was selling books. The only problem is, if you ordered a book off Books.com, by the time it got to you, it's you know, not in the best condition. Amazon, it was. He basically just did it better than they did. Wow. Yeah, expand it quick, like, more quickly. But, I don't know. I think it's definitely, definitely interesting, interesting guy. No, absolutely. Again, like, brilliant strategist. Not exactly creative. I've only, I've never heard of Amazon creating anything they've only ever stolen, except for Amazon itself. We've, I mean, I wouldn't say stolen, but um, me and Amazon itself, he kind of like got the I like, I guess he created, but also there's other stuff like that at the time. I don't think that um, I I think I think Amazon's just really good at doing stuff other people do it better. Yeah, that's fair. Also, if you have access to internet right now, type in ruthless.com. Ruthless.com? Yeah, Ruth. Is this an attack on Amazon? No, type it in. Ruthless.com. Buy now, Ruthless.com. Oh! That's depressing. It used to take you to Amazon. That's hilarious. I didn't realize they didn't do that anymore, but it used to be, like, um... Because that was when they were trying to find the name of Amazon. The first one was, um, Cadabra, like, Abracadabra, like, it's magical. But everyone hated that name. So they were trying to find another one. Ruthless was a name they were considering, but everybody thought it sounded sinister. So well, you... I was gonna say, could you imagine Amazon today also being called a Ruthless? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it used to... It's more fitting. Yeah, but I say it's actually a really cool name, but I guess it makes it it's not the best image. But it used to be even last. I, I, I it was it must have been this year when they stopped doing this because I know for a fact you do it last year. But when you typed in ruthless.com, it would automatically redirect you to Amazon. Yeah, no, that's because anybody who owns that can um, point it somewhere. Yeah, which what Bezos did. But I'm disappointed that it's not like that anymore yeah well evidently they're trying to sell it for eighty thousand dollars yeah that's a little much but <laughs> hey, for eighty thousand dollars i'm gonna call my company something else yeah exactly well i don't know i, I do think 
I, th I think Amazon's a um, better name. The reason they got that one is because the Amazon River is the biggest river in the world. And the second biggest river is not even close to the size of the Amazon. That's fair. Yeah, it's definitely a cool name. I know we got very off topic again, but we're just showing our brainstorming process. <laughs> yeah, our brainstorming process is effectively fumbling into wealth. <laughs> exactly. Although we're at hour 20 minutes now, so I guess it's like, uh, you got any like final thoughts on brainstorming? Um, not really. I was just going to say follow me on Facebook at uh, carolinaconservatives.com and, um, yeah, also, yeah, if anybody's interested in dropshipping or anything, uh, Corey Bortry on Facebook also is a place you can go to uh, contact us. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and then um, I guess my last thoughts would just be like, um, I don't know, get like, or like what I do is just get sources of information that can help you actually like find topics to write about. And, yeah. And you can follow me at, um, well, you can follow my business at Finance by CWT on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me personally at CWT Business on Instagram and Twitter. And thank you for listening to the episode.